0: Hey, this is Taylor. This is Jake. And this is Dan. And this is Unicorn Finders, where we are on the search to illuminate the elusive unicorn factor in everyday people, businesses, and relationships. Hope you enjoy.
1: I want to to get into your story a little bit. So you're originally from St. Pete. You're originally from this area. Um, You went to University of South Florida in St. Petersburg. You got really involved and started businesses young when you were in college. What was it about the Tampa area, the St. Pete area that um, kept you in this area? And then ultimately, like, how did you build your career from to to where you are now?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, yeah, I've I've grown up here. And so I think that's a major reason. I do have family here. It is beautiful. I don't have, I mean, I think for all this, a lot of the same reasons that makes it really easy to recruit people here, both for staff, for presence and for companies to, to, to move here are the exact reasons that I've stayed here. And, and it's been interesting because I've also seen the growth and the change over time. So I, I grew up in in North County, um, North, North Pinellas, um, the East Lake area. So very, very different, um, even though only 30, 40 minutes away, just, just true suburban versus anything like a, a proper downtown Tampa or downtown St. Petersburg. And so um, when I moved to St. Petersburg, which was for USF St. Pete, um, there was no beach drive uh, Central was boarded up it was it was a it was, you couldn't recognize it I think there were maybe one or two um, tall buildings over you know 10 20 stories obviously night and day now and so uh, it's been really cool to be a part of and really see the growth and change of new restaurants opening every single week all the breweries thousands of yeah. artists um, you know tons of software and entrepreneurs and new business owners and St. Petersburg specifically, um, uh, the, the, the mom and pop, the community feel, the investment in each other. And I think that last part is the primary reason. It's the fact that um, this is a community that loves itself and the people here want to see everybody else succeed and be a part of that growth. Mm-hmm. And so... That's that's been huge. I also like being someone kind of on the forefront versus just fitting in with everything else. So um, very easily, like many of my peers did years ago, could have gone to San Francisco or could have gone to New York or some of the big tech, you know, capitals um, or Boston for for education technology, for example. But the reality is, there's there's thousands, tens of thousands. So you're you're so much more competition. There's they're already mature places, and so being a part of that growth and change here has been really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably the, the, the primary driver and, and, and reason here. Awesome. Well,
0: Add- for those of you who are tuning in,
2: uh, we have an amazing individual
0: today. <clears throat> I have some comments, too. Our boy Danny. Danny Thompson's tuning in with us. Been to Tampa, been to St. Pete's. Had a great time of both. I love it. And then, Kathia, hello, as always. So for those of you tuning in, thank you for tuning in to Unicorn Finders. Uh, we are excited to have our new friend and part of the podcast, ruben today um before we dive in again the reason why unicorn finders was started unicorn finders was started about a year ago um because both jake dan and i are dear friends and we were very lonely sitting at home very lonely and so we decided to hang out and uh, a year later we've had some pretty amazing guests and so uh, for those of you tuning in we're excited to talk about edtech today talk about ruben's company presence Um, So without further ado, Ruben, man, let's go ahead and dive into who you are, give the people what they want, a little peel behind the onion of who Ruben is and kind of what you do now, and then we'll go ahead and dive into the conversation
2: today. Sure. I mean, that's a big question, I guess. Um, I don't even know. I guess I I, I always start when I was around 10, um, mostly because that's when I started programming and and I got connected to technology and, and a little bit of business and stuff as well. I was very fortunate enough to grow up with... Um, to independent business owners as parents. So um, if you look up all the reasons people become entrepreneurs, that's like one of the leading is they were nurtured into that and their, their, their yeah. family has been used to that. And so you end up being a whole lot uh, less uh, uh, risk adverse. Um, so that's a, that's a major, you know, I think, reason of, of where I got to where I am now. But when I was 10, I walked into my dad's home office and said, how do I build a website? And he said, I don't know, leave me alone. And so um, I think it was more, I don't know, go figure it out. Um, And so I did. I I researched it myself. I'm completely self-taught. And so I've I've always had a technology background and have really enjoyed how software and technology in general can be a solution that can be put in place and run itself and do its thing. Mm -hmm. And so coupling that with my compulsion to problem solve, something's... Um, broken. I have a hard time not being the person to fix it. And if something's not broken, I have a hard time not breaking it. Mm-hmm. And so all of that together results in, um, you know, a whole lot of good and a whole lot of interesting habits um, that come along with it. But I've built a ton of products and companies in the past um, presence. What I'm focusing on now is really um, what I spend 110% of my time on every single day um, with my team. We have about 40 employees that, that work on presence now today um and and presence really through my experience um in my undergrad first. Um I went to the University of South Florida and uh got super involved on campus and ended up, as I'm sure you all did and others that are listening, learning a whole lot more outside of the classroom than I did in the classroom. And so that experiential learning opportunities that I were that I was given um and the more uh, applicable skills to everyday life and and you know whatever. Um, kind of grew a passion in me to make sure other students were achieving that and getting into that and, and being a part of that. Because we really only saw the same 5 to 10% of students coming out to events and opportunities on campus that that existed. And so I ended up getting involved in student government. Most people don't realize student governments allocate millions of dollars every year, as much as $30 million uh, a year wow. at some institutions. Yeah, with, with uh, full autonomy and, and authority. Now, granted, within certain guidelines, Um, Do you
3: spend more just because it says government, just like the normal government? Is that how that (laughs) budget works?
2: It's interesting because you know there is it is looked at as tax dollars, very similar because it's tuition. So the student government's budget is a portion of students' tuition. So when it's it's interesting because a lot of you know bloat in government comes from. We got to make sure we're spending the money right and doing the right things. And so there is a fair amount of um, like, hey, let's let's spend some money to make sure that. Um, you know, we're, we're gonna spend the rest right and make sure we know what we're doing. And so, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it's nearly the, to the extreme, but it is very similar. The student governments, although working on much lower importance than the real government, work just the same way. There's an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch, and they all have their functions and they all have their arguments and their um, uh, compromises and everything else. And so it was, it was a good experience, of course. It's, a, it's an incredible learning experience, uh, but it introduced new problems. To your point, we basically have um, brand new college students and learning college students as they're progressing, deciding how to allocate millions of dollars every year. And so there was no reason or rhyme or why, how that was being done. And everyone had their reasons, but there was no standard or structure to it. Um, And what I really mean is there was no data behind it. And so that was the second major pain point. One, we were only reaching so many students. Two, we were trying to allocate millions of dollars every year without any data. And then I ended up working on the staff side. So I actually worked uh, in enrollment and marketing and student affairs as a professional staff member at the institution as well and got deeper into things like retention and graduation rates. Um, Really the key metrics that higher ed cares about. Are we getting students to convert year to year and are they actually graduating? And they make more money that way. um, And they also um, get more tuition and, and, you know, get back some of their cost of recruitment. And so... Um, Student involvement, among other factors like academics and financial and psychological play large roles in whether students make it through graduation and are bought into the campus or don't transfer. And so what presence really was when we built it was let's make it easy to start collecting data around student involvement on campus, make it easy to understand and then give administrators and staff access to take action on improving student engagement, success and now workforce readiness.
3: Was this something that wasn't like people weren't doing this or was this like manual Excel process or just kind of gut checking before or, and you're, you have a platform that automates a lot of that or makes it easier. Or what was the process like before and how have you fixed it?
2: Yeah, honestly, when we started this, um, institutions that were trying to do something, were using everything from clickers to spreadsheets to, well, I order eight boxes of pizza each with eight slices. And when I know the pizza's gone because each student <laughs> took a slice, we had 64 people come out and that's good. And so those were honestly what they were stuck having to do. Um, and so you know, we just made that really easy. And, and now it's a giant you know, enterprise um, platform. We have about 250 universities and colleges across North America that use the application with well over a million and a half students.
0: Awesome! Man. You obviously wow, haven't invited me to any pizza parties yet. <laughs> I'll Thank eat you. that? <laughs> yeah, well, like I'm like
3: a four slices, I said, so.
0: Yeah, you <laughs> haven't invited me to any of those parties because I will eat all sixty-four pieces, and uh, <laughs> that's just, that's <laughs> awesome we're super involved.
2: Totally skew the data. Totally skew it.
0: Hey, Ru- <laughs> Ruben,
1: talk just a little bit. You you mentioned collecting data about student involvement, and then you know hopefully connect that to retention and other things. But what else, or what are you finding with that data? Or what's what's interesting? you know, pieces of information that the universities are learning about their students.
2: Yeah, I'd say, and, and to give you more, more context, so we um, mm-hmm. yeah. get not only are we are tracking everything that students are doing outside of the classroom, but we mix that with student information system data. Um, and so that that kind of data points include things like age and gender and race and major and class and ethnicity and GPA and location. It's like a couple hundred different data points that we get about students that gets mixed and mingled with the tracking data to provide the in-depth analytics and assessment that the professionals, the institution need. And it's really interesting because, uh, I, I don't remember, it's been a while, but the exact, um percentage, it's well over 95% of students actually want their data used this way to improve their college experience. And so everyone's bought into doing things like this during college. And so one of my favorites, Dan, um, is Valdosta State University in Georgia. Um, The vice president of student affairs there, Vince Miller, calls it his magic number. And um, what they've done is they've used our software to find the exact amount of engagements that a first year or freshman student needs to effectively oh, cool. guarantee they're gonna to retain to their sophomore year. And so hmm. for Valdosta, it was, it was 10 and it was a 95% rate. So if we could get students to engage in 10 things during their first year, they know they'll have a 95% rate in retaining. Hmm. And if it was 12, it bumps it up to like 98% or something like that. So now Valdosta has built an entire dashboard and incentive portal to interest students and incentivize them to hit a score and gamify that with us, in which point they'll earn a scholarship once they Smart. hit that numbers as well. So it's, it's been really cool Smart. to see some of the effects that this has had.
3: I'm not saying this tongue in cheek, you know, uh, but is is are you tracking like mixers and parties and stuff as part of those events or are these specifically like university driven and sponsored events.
2: Um if it's if it's a like it's it definitely has to be like school related but <laughs> if, if a student club, Yeah, so it's not like a random party, but if a student club is hosting a meeting or a mixer or anything um, and in sure. many cases, alcohol may be allowed at things like that, right? But it's still sponsored by the institution. That's what gets tracked. Um, and so, but but likewise, um, at, at a lot of institutions, Greek life parties, despite being exclusive, are technically approved by an institution right. and have to meet certain guidelines. And so, they actually, typically, uh, at least in my experience and a little bit beyond. Uh, those organizations also have to know who's coming into those parties from a risk management and a safety perspective as, as well yeah. as knowing age. and so they'll use us to track those types of things as well it'll be private so other students won't be able to see it of course, um, but theoretically even at events like that we would know that they're there as well.
1: So. Ruben, have you guys noticed a difference, or talked to your, you know, clients or colleges and universities about what the difference in maybe retention rates were before they started tracking it this way, and maybe where they went over the next few years? Did they see a, a pretty drastic improvement?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's a very tough direct causation. We can show plenty of correlation we can show in cases like Valdosta and many others that there is causation, but tying a directly proportionate um, causation to just what we're doing is is pretty much impossible. And that goes for any type of stats because there's the reality is there's hundreds of data points and reasons why. The the four primary I mentioned earlier, academics, financial, psychological, and then student involvement where we come in. And so looking at those things are interesting. Um, I, I still point to Valdosta, I've personally done a lot of work with uh, doctor, doctor it's top of mind for me. Um, but they specifically looked at five different data points and found the data week that they collect with us is the second largest driver, second only to academic performance um, at their institution. And so they are seeing that. We have institutions that we have tracked that have increased as much as uh, I know one went from like 50 to 58% in, uh, I think it was a single year, a couple years into okay. using us. Um, in their graduation rates we have others that uh, I I know there's there's one that's a more transient student population so um, they'll come take a few classes go back to work take a few classes another semester and so their their graduation rate was something like 29 percent and we got that to 32 percent um, in a single year and so we've seen wow. some significant yeah. increases again mm-hmm. There's all kinds of data that also play in on that, but we like to feel, and I think the institutions do believe that what they're doing with us does make a significant impact in that increase as well.
3: Yeah, how is it that um, you guys are uh, using this for future recruiting of students as well, or are the universities using that? Hey, by the way, we have this many events, and this is our you know graduation rate based on these, and or or how do you tie into here's a diversity within these. Paths, but how do we, you know, grow that and things like that? Are they using that for pre-recruitment?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. We're actually going both ways. Um, So when you say when you initially said recruiting, I was thinking on the workforce side. So I'll I'll actually both. So on the new student recruitment side, um, part of our application is is what powers all of the marketing channels, all the engagement tools that we provide. So we actually power a mobile app. A web portal and digital signage all over and so that students know exactly where to go to, to find out how to get involved and what opportunities there are so one of the bigger selling points of presence is that we don't require anyone to log in to be able what's going on at the institution just like you wouldn't have to for a normal website or an app and so um common that enrollment gets the benefit of being able to show off what student life looks like And what opportunities are going on to prospective students um second i don't know myself of any institutions that are doing this i know it was part of conversations when they were buying um but being able to utilize the data to understand what types of students end up being more involved um, or what types of students uh need something to get more involved uh so that early during the prospect stage to make sure they'll be involved and successful throughout their college career. And then the other part I was talking about on the workforce side is part of our application actually allows institutions to create learning outcomes and the soft and essential skill sets that students can learn and earn by getting involved, similar to those applicable skills I felt I was earning. Um, So the application Mm, allows there to be a, a true structure around what those skills are they can group them into competencies and they can actually measure the levels and depth those skills are, are, are earned and then help um, students understand how to earn those skills. And so they can create what are called learning pathways, which are essentially like gamified choose your own milestones and requirements that students can do to have a more holistic experiential cool. learning um, you know, at campus and earn the levels and depth of those skills, which then come together in what we call is, is, is a smart transcript, which is essentially a digital interactive profile a student could share with an employer to show wow. off everything they've done and the, and the skills they earned while they were at school, um, and so that helps on the other side of recruitment and helping students land uh, better, better. Learning.
3: That's cool. How, how are you? How do you guys intersect? Is that the extent that you intersect with the career center and the career involvement uh, career track, um, or is there there some sort of uh, like insights that come into like, hey, this person keeps you know gravitating towards these type of events? Maybe they should be towards this career or whatever, you know, because then you have so many, you get there yeah. so many times people graduate and they don't know, all right, now, now what, a- now what, right? Unless you're specialized, right. you know, all the art history majors don't know what the hell they want to do, right? So, like, what are you going to do with that, right? So, um, is there any way for like coaching that they can leverage that data?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and I believe they do. Um, again, we don't necessarily get deep into those types of conversations or knowledge that that's, sure. you know, how often that's happening. But in, in my experience, um, the career center leaders that I've had conversations with are, are absolutely doing that. And so um, they'll, they'll similar to kind of how an academic advisor may look at your transcript and the courses you've taken or try to understand what you like and help you position yourself for a certain major, yeah. Um a career center could absolutely go in and see and say, oh wow, you're you're super into this marketing agency organization that you're a part of and this yeah. um, advertising group and you've gone to all these events and it seems like you like this. Have you considered a major in PR? And you know, do you know what that whole industry looks like from a perspective? Um so you can definitely yeah. look at it from a perspective. The second is that part of our experiential learning builder allow, would allow them to build what are normally known as a like career readiness program. So almost every institution yeah. has a career readiness program where they put you through things like resume building workshops, mock interviews, all kinds of different things that are available that what really most students don't even realize exist. And so yeah. they can actually build that out as a pathway in presence and help students know that it's there and earn credit mm-hmm. and incentives and other things to go through that pathway to get their career readiness skills and everything as well.
1: And Ruben, I want to ask you a follow-up question to that. And, and I think you may have touched on it. If not, I know you and I have talked about it offline. Is there ways for for companies when they're going in to recruit out of colleges? We'll just use you know, the University of Florida, for example, just a random example here. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I'm a company, I go to University of Florida, is there a way if there's a career fair coming where I can reach out and if they're using presence that I can say, hey, I want students that are are involved in these types of clubs or activities? I want you know students that have you know participated in this number of activities. You know this year, is there any way that you can use that data to target students when when companies are coming
2: in? Um. Yeah, an institution okay. would be able to do that if they if they wanted to. I mean, an institution could. You yeah. know, that's the whole. Is, you know, give me students that have done these things or have gotten this involved or are, you know interested in these types of things. So yeah, yeah, very easily an institution could could do that on their own for sure. We don't necessarily have a way for that company to come in and to our yeah. application and do that gotcha. at all. Of course, but, um, yeah. I mean, the data is there. The institution could absolutely decide to do that. Uh, all kind of to Jake's initial question. Um, we actually can also house internship opportunities. Um, on-campus job opportunities, um, civic engagement, or volunteering opportunities can all be cataloged and hosted in presence as well.
3: That's awesome. And uh, so being in the ed tech space, you know, um, there's e-learning, there's all sorts, all sorts of stuff that goes on. Are you involved or how involved are you in some sort, you know, the community of ed tech and what has been some of the exciting disruptors Aside from presence, of course, that you see coming down the pipe, uh, or any other founders or companies, you're like, "Wow, okay, that was a cool solution to a problem that we've been seeing." Because we had we had on Next Play uh, Kyle Muma for Next Play a few months ago, and uh, he was noticing that there was no um, support for student athletes for their actual education. <laughs> they were they were getting much more. Hey, you're a gladiator, you know. And if you if you're you're hurt and your scholarship's done, you know, and you don't go pro, then well, thanks, here's here's partial of a degree, right? So he helped, you know, build a platform to make sure that that, uh, that doesn't happen in <laughs> student-athletes, right? So we That's probably should cool. actually introduce you guys.
2: Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think what else is out there. Um company is knack um, is and I have a really elegant solution to things like tutoring, I heard uh, of, of, hmm. Them before, um, and I know they've done really well since COVID because you know they're, they're they enable a lot of virtual tutoring. But NAC came up with a solution of—I think of a good analogy, but essentially they're like.
3: Do you know NACs in Uber Tampa?
2: Person. What's that? Yeah, NAC. You know, yeah, yeah, I know
3: in Tampa.
2: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah, not
3: St. Pete. Just.
2: <laughs> yeah, but secretly they want to be in St. Pete. It's okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, just like. That. Um, and so, uh, NAC NAC offers almost like an like an Uber for tutoring. Um, so oh, essentially, cool. and and what's unique to what they do is that they hook you up with a tutor that's taken the class you're taking with the professor that you're taking and give you specific help to succeeding in that particular course. And so you can mm-hmm. book. You can basically you know, find tutors and book them through NAC from your institution that just succeeded in that course. And it opens up and it kind of democratizes who can be a tutor versus just the tutoring center at the institution. And so that's how they started. And I know they've done some work towards um, partnering directly with institutions. Dan, I I think their largest deal right now is with Uethic, actually. Um, Yeah, Yeah, it is. And so... um, UF is or UF and other institutions similar are, are actually now buying into and subsidizing the tutoring for those students so that um I think they are looking to replace their tutoring centers to just use this as well. So that that's definitely one. Um, cool. off the top of my head, who else is doing something cool? Well, let's go on. I'll see if I come up with anything else in the meantime.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we'll drop we'll drop it on something else.
2: Yeah.
1: Ruben, I want to talk to you a little bit, I mean, just briefly, just about scaling, especially with tech. You know, we're we're more tech focused than probably anything. When Obviously, when you started Presence, you know, money was very different uh, to what you have now. Technology was different nine years ago. How did you guys decide what technology to start with? And then how have you decided to to mold and change over the years? And and what are things that you look for as you guys evolve when it comes to tech?
2: Yeah. Resources are low, right? Just like you said in the very beginning. So it really comes down to what's the most accessible, which comes down to what do you know and the people that you're involved with. What what do you already know, right? And so like, what's going to get you to that MVP or that first product you can start getting feedback on and get out there to see if it works or not. And so for us, it was it was West, um, for example. Um, it was, um, nothing crazy from a JavaScript library perspective. It was like, what is the bare bones, uh, just, you know, quickest, but still quality way of getting out that initial product. And then yeah. once we had that initial traction it, at, at some point it was now, I mean, I think it's like five years ago now or so we decided, Hey, we've gotten to a point. I don't remember. it was probably. I wanna say it was probably 20 to 25, maybe 30 institutions that were using the application. And we basically said, all right, we're gonna free and we're gonna start over. And it was gotten to a point where we just started adding and adding and adding and adding and adding where it became, you know, unscalable. I got to a point where, you know, I was working with my CTO and he's like, hey, you know, you wanna build this stuff. We can either build this stuff in the existing platform in nine months or we can rebuild the whole thing and, um, and build this stuff in six months. And of course, it yeah. didn't necessarily work out that way, um, but <laughs> that's what we did. Right. So we said, all right, you know, let's, now that we know what we know, we've gotten all of our feedback, all of our information. We know how people are starting to use it. We have an idea of what we want to build over the next few years. Let's go ahead and and, and build the, the you know the true system that we want to be building on. And so we actually moved over to Azure. Part of that is because the CTO at the time um, was all on Microsoft stack, and and we were previously .NET as well and, and Microsoft as well. But we wanted to be fully in. We also had raised money from 500 startups, um, and so they actually had an awesome partnership at the time that gave us. Three hundred sixty thousand dollars of free credit on Azure, and so it made it obvious to go into using that. And, um, and that, that's yeah. that's yeah, totally. And that's that's credit that's good for three years. And so um, wow. we uh, we basically went all in on that. We started building on .NET Core, which was at the time brand new. Um, yeah. We started uh, with with Angular, which at the time was fairly new. Um and uh, we've just continued to you know build and continue to um, upgrade and do what we need on that system and it's gotten us as far as we have now. Wow. Um,
3: so, so what is the? I mean, we got a couple minutes left for wrapping up here. What's the? Let's see. Do we want to go with startup advice, or do we want to go with edtech advice? The, well, uh, you know, Ruben, I want to
1: ask you a little bit about your role because we didn't get to touch much upon it. Um, but you're the entrepreneur in residence for the city of St. Pete. Touch us a little bit about that role. I know you touched on helping bring businesses in, um, but what is that role? What do
3: you do? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And, and um, how can yeah.
2: I become that? What in would
3: Tampa? you say you do here?
2: <laughs> you know what would you say you do here? So. Uh... Like I said, I spend about 110% of my time on presence. Um, and so right. the extra, i say, 5 to 10% max on the entrepreneur and resident role. And so essentially what that is, it, it, the, an EIR started, as far as I know, started in venture capital. And it was the idea that uh, firms provide someone that's done it before um, yeah. you know, or is currently doing it as a, key resource to the investments and the founders that they're making investments in. Um, And so it was like, hey, we're finance guys or we're PE people and we know how to make these investments but um, we also have someone that works with us that's done it before and knows what they're doing as a resource for you. And so um, institutions, universities and colleges, actually I I had those types of roles to student entrepreneurs um, and uh be that resource for students trying to create ventures uh and then we started seeing some cities starting to do this i mean municipalities and different organizations starting to say hey um you know we're we want to help support entrepreneurs in the city for and so um I actually had started long before the role was created, working more closely with economic development and the city of St. Peter um, in, in doing with Um I don't know if you've heard of PandaDoc, for example, was one of the larger yep. ones a few years ago that I was um, had my hands in pretty heavily in, in getting to move here from San Francisco. And now I'm pretty sure this is still a bigger office than their office. Um, and so things like that, kind of started teeing off a role like this. And essentially what ended up happening was um, some of the mayor's people and himself and, and I got together and basically said, Hey, why don't we formalize something here? One to make it easier for people looking at the city or starting in the city to find me as a resource um, because i up here and I've built a strong network here valuable. And, and I do want to share that with other people. And it's part of the reason, you know, why I've stayed here as well and why I have an interest here is because People help me and, uh, and and that's how the community grows in the first place. And so yeah. there's parts of my role. One is helping, assisting, and advocating for the entrepreneurs in the city of St. Petersburg um, towards the, for whatever they need, connecting them to the rest of my or others network, um, maybe even investors and funders, all kinds of different things. Um, the second actually helping and recruiting companies to move to the city. Um, and continuing to do that. So pre pre COVID, we were um, actually traveling around a year to big conferences or some stuff as as yeah. a group, uh, and we actually like crashed those conferences. Those founders that it's a better place to move to, um, and then post COVID, it's been working more directly with the EDC um, to uh, take the leads that they've they've gotten together and the companies that have contacted them and are interested. Um, and, uh, just sitting down one-on-one with those founders and helping them understand the pros and cons to say here. Uh, and then the last piece, the third piece is actually, uh, helping the city itself be more entrepreneurial and, uh, think about, um, why startups are able to move so fast and the processes that they have and the simplicity of things that to your point, you know, with, with bloat and government simplify some of that to work more like a startup. So <laughs> that's what that role looks like. Um, it's a two-year term. We're a little bit over that. I think we're trying to solidify up some of what the role formally is and, and create some structure and plan around it as the mayor um, terms out this year as well so we can set it up for the next person to come in.
3: So fun. We've got something like that here here in Raleigh. Um, and actually, we we ended up hiring the person who started it 10 years ago, Derek Miner, to join Vaco internally, um, who is just an awesome uh, Um yeah. Don't tell him we're I said We're working on out.
1: trying to hire Ruben, but he's got his salary is a little bit higher than yeah. we're used to paying.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, man, that, man. It's out um, of the goodness of your heart. All
1: well, right. well, Ruben, why don't, um, just as we wrap up here, uh, where can people learn more about you um, and presence and then we'll wrap up and follow you on social media. Yeah. You know. um,
2: yeah. Unfortunately there's not many places to learn about me these days. I've, I've did social media. I still have the accounts just so I can hit them if I really need to. But Jake was giving me shit earlier for not accepting his request, which I haven't even seen yet. Cause I don't really go on much anymore Um, and so, uh, unfortunately I don't put many updates out there. I I just like this. So, I mean, honestly, I found myself to have a pretty unique name and you can find a lot of podcasts and talks and conversations and things that I've done. If you just search my full name, um, presence is easy. We have a great marketing team that keeps everybody updated on what we're doing. So presence is easy to follow through social, um, our website, any, any news that we're putting out. But uh, yeah, that's the gist. Honestly, I used to have a whole personal website and everything, but I've just, you know, minimized all of that down to stay focused.
1: Yeah, dude. I love it, man. You're one of my favorite people. You've always been one of my favorites. We met probably six years ago, six and a half years ago. I had not been in Tampa very long. Um, and Ruben had a small company. He had a, a guy that we were mutual friends with. And he said, hey, there's a, a guy that I want you to meet. And the company was called Check I'm Here. Um, Six years later, he's got an awesome company. He's growing like crazy, uh, and I'm super excited to see what he's doing, man. He's uh, he's become a really good friend, and obviously a huge advocate, you know, for the for the St. Pete area. Um, so we're happy to have him in our community.
2: Yeah, Dan. He turned uh, yeah. St.
1: Pete. Do you throw him over the fence to Tampa? Is that how that works? <laughs> yeah, right into the water. Make me swim back. It's like Alcatraz. thanks for coming. What's that? Say, say that one more time. Ruben. you broke up.
2: That's really what the ferry's there for. If if, um, That's right. if if they're not right for you, ferry for sure. Yeah,
1: I love it, man. I love it. Well, let's uh, we'll wrap up, man. Thank you so much for for coming on uh, this week, especially on on somewhat short notice. And uh, we're looking forward. To it. I'm rooting for you, um, obviously. And I sent you a text the other day. You never responded to. Me, so I'll wait for that response after you respond to Jake's LinkedIn message. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and end scene I love it thanks Ruben <laughs> See y'all.
3: thank y'all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Unicorn Finders if you found any of that interesting or helpful at all please share it with your friends if you have any questions comments or concerns or want to be a part of our podcast be sure to email us at info at the unicornfinders.com.
1: And while you're at it, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe us five stars and share it with a friend or two. We'll see you next week.